Hello and welcome to the Redefine Instruction webcast series, where we bring a fresh perspective on learning and development with every single episode. Go ahead, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and enjoy a few moments talking about LND with me. Hi, my name is Sandia Lachenbal and I am your host for this series. Subscribe to our webcast or look out for new episodes on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or log on to redefineinstruction.com for the latest trends on L&D. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Redefine Instruction. Today, the spotlight is on Hadiya Nuridin. She is a renowned author, speaker, learning strategist, e-learning developer, and owner of Duets Learning. Hadia never stops amazing me with the depth of knowledge and expertise that she brings to the field of story design. With over 20 years experience in learning and development, she specializes in instructional design and development for both corporate and academic environments. The extent of Hadia's expertise goes much beyond designing, developing, and delivering technical and professional development courses. She is also the author of the book, Story Training, Selecting and Shaping Stories that Connect. In this episode, Hadia shares examples of powerful stories, how to design stories and strategically embed elements such as climax, conflict, and transition in the story, the secret behind creating personas for storytelling, the tools which lend themselves to storytelling, using movies as motivation, and much more. I urge you to check out her website, duetslearning.com, and follow her on LinkedIn and Twitter. You will find links in the show notes below. Most of all, don't miss the opportunity to attend Hadia's webinar on mining for stories and several other topics. I also include a link to her workshops in the show notes. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Hadia. Hadia, welcome to my podcast, Redefine Instruction. I am so glad that you took the time to speak to me about storytelling. Um, can't wait to dive into questions, but thank you again for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for asking. All right. So Hadia, I cannot wait to get down the series of questions about storytelling because I'm so excited about that. Um, you know, there are so there's so much that I have learned through this entire season mm -hmm. of storytelling, and there's so many different aspects of it. Right. And creative aspects, depending on how you approach it. Right. But before we get into the exciting stuff, I kind mm. of want to learn about your journey, about how you got into instructional design, um, what brought you to it, and how did you choose storytelling as a niche? Yeah. Well, um, I actually started I have a bachelor's in English. I graduated um, in the 90s. It was during the Gulf War. So there weren't many jobs for anyone, let alone people with English degrees. So I was in what I call retail hell for a while. And then finally, I uh, got a job in tech support, which was also interesting because you know, back then they really needed people. There were a lot of tech support organizations. So they, I said, well, I have an English degree. I've never seen the inside of a computer. I don't know how they work. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, if we learned it, you can learn it. <laughs> I said, okay. So, um, and it was for supporting a specific project, uh, product. 
Um, so I did that for a while, and then I started moving into tech support for um, different companies, So, which was different than supporting a product. I had to actually go into a computer, make a uh, make a uh, one computer out of two computers. I mean, I and I went up the certification route. I did all of that for some time. Um, but you know, tech support is a burnout job. You know, no one stops you in the hallway to tell you how great their computer is working. And if they do, it's a trap because it's their printer not working now. So they just want to <laughs> lure you into their office so, so that you can fix something else. Um, and so I thought, you know, there's a big aspect of this that's training. Um, I mean, I didn't know back then about the different aspects of training. To me, training was just knowing something and then telling people that something. Like That was all I, I knew about it. And that's all I was doing already in tech support. So um, I, my last tech support job, um, I convinced my manager. I told her I wanted to learn how to be a trainer for that company, but I really had planned on <laughs> leaving. I didn't know how I was going to do that. So she paid for me to get this job. Right before that, I had an interview at a company who wanted to hire me to be a technical trainer. In the interview, she said, have you ever heard of instructional design? And I was like, okay, I went through my options. Do I lie? Do I make, what if she has follow-up questions? They're like, no, I've never heard of instructional design. And she said, well, if you're going to be in this field, you need to learn what that means. I was like, okay, that's a burn, not getting that job. Um, but they called me for a second interview. In between, I talked my manager into letting me go to training for uh, for training. So we call training one on one. And uh, so we were going through there. We we're going through the training, and I still hadn't heard the words instructional and design put together. So during lunch, um, I was in the room by myself, and the trainer came and sat with me. She said, "Do you feel like you're getting everything you need?" I said, "No," because I still don't know what instructional design is. Right. And so she just took the time and just turned on the hose and was telling me everything about instructional design. You know, she's like, there's the Eddie model and there's these, you know, learning styles, which we talked about back then. Right. And the nine events of instruction and all these things. I was like, oh, my God. And so I went to the second interview and I'm just like, you know, saying things that I didn't know were connected. I was like, so you want your learning objectives first. You want to start there. Never done it. Didn't know what I was talking about. Later, I learned they saw right through all of that. Um, but they ended up hiring me. Um, and so I, um, I was, a t we, we did everything from beginning to end from Hadia, there's a project to Hadia, where's the evaluation? Um, there was no distinction between any of that. And then one day, probably a year in, my manager pulled me aside and said, you need to, what do you want to focus on? You can't just do it. What do you want to focus on? Because I liked making workbooks <laughs> and I liked making written documentation. I figured out that that was instructional design. So I said, okay, I think I'll focus on instructional design. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> yes, yes. I do want to know how you went from the broad perspective of instructional design into this deep dive on storytelling because as simple as the term sounds mm -hmm. it's a monster there's so right. much to learn about storytelling so how did you decide that this is where you want to specialize well i like to say storytelling found me <laughs> you know okay. uh, i uh I mean, I've always had a fascination with story and movies. It's, I equate what I do so much to movies, like a cinematic approach to that. So I've always been a big film buff. 
And so the, the idea of story has always been a part of my instructional design. Even today, if I do facilitate, which I don't very often, um, someone else's class, I'm always looking for the narrative structure. It doesn't have to be a story with characters, but there's always this sort of narrative flow. And I'm always, I, I find myself needing that. So I've always been that way, mm -hmm. um, but I didn't sort of formalize it into, oh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I want to study storytelling um, a lot more until I had the opportunity uh, really in, in 2018 to um, write the book Story Training. And um, when I first um, got approved to write it, I really thought in the back of my mind, we don't need another storytelling book. I mean, come on, there's a million storytelling books out there. But as I looked more closely, there really weren't any books at that time that addressed storytelling and facilitation and how people learn in storytelling. It was more about you know, emotion. It was more about writing. Um, it was all of that. Also, I should mention too, that I have a master's in education, also have a master's in writing. Um, so I learned the formal process of actually storytelling and building characters and building whole narratives. And, um, you know, as part of that program, which I finished in 2014, I'm not sure it made me a better writer, but it made me a better instructional designer, you know, because it forced me to see the world through the eyes of character. You know, it forced me to think about who was at the center of these stories? Whose story is it? Was something they would ask us all the time. And mm -hmm. so I'm something I really thought about it. And as I build the narratives for the, the classes, not even just like the little scenarios, and sometimes my classes are built on a full scenario, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, whose, whose story is this? Whose class is this? And um, what are they experiencing? And what do I need them to see and do and all that? So all of that, that the idea of the, being a film buff and then um, always have an interest in writing and getting the master's in writing and um, the instructional design just sort of all came together and um, that's how I ended up with that niche. It's it's like pieces of a puzzle, right? You kind of fall right. into it and then everything else falls into place. You kind of feel like you've come a full circle. Um, right. You know, and that's you what's great about this job in, in general. Um, yes. And when some people come to me who have had full careers and something else and say they want to get into instructional design and they really unfortunately discount all the experience that they've had as if it doesn't matter. And so what's great about this field is that every single thing you have done in your life will contribute to your ability to be a good instructional designer. Every experience that you've had and that you've watched other people have, all of that can feed into your designs and especially fuel your stories. Yeah. Right, right. And I'm glad you mentioned a master's in education because you know, with the pandemic happening right now and, and there's no end in sight, yeah. there's a lot of people wanting to transition into instructional design. And a, a mm -hmm. big chunk of those people are teachers right. with that background in education like, your, like yourself. And mm -hmm. like you said, they discount themselves to say they don't have the experience. However, in my experience, they have a leg up on a lot of other people who are trying right. to transition into this career. Um, another unique thing that I picked up from your conversation was that you think of the story from the lens of the character, the main character, mm. the cat, it, like right. it's happening to them. I've never heard that unique perspective. Before. Really? Yeah, it's essential. It is their story. And, yeah. you know, I'll be saying that if you can't find the story, then you've lost the people. You have right. to go find the people. Right. Yeah. 
I, I think a lot of people also think of of um, of storytelling from the perspective of the person who's watching it, like the learner, yeah. right? Um, so, so explain to me how the two lenses kind of fit together. How I obviously you have the learning perspective, right? You always keep your learners and your audience front and center, and mm-hmm. then you are presenting the story from the perspective of the character. How do you make the two fit together? Well, it's just like, you know, again, I always think about that cinematic approach. You know, you have this character who's on the screen, who's living their own life and doing these amazing things that you would never do, yet you still feel a relationship with that person. You still see a little bit of yourself in that person of either who you are, who you've been, or who you aspire to be. So it is it is finding out, starting first with, you know, who, who the learner is, seeing what they're experiencing, what they're going through, and then creating a character that is going through that same thing. You know, in some ways, I say that the characters are proxies for the learner. Um, That's not always true, but in many cases, it is. I mean, that's the only way they're going to feel a connection to them. If you just have a generic Tom who is just walking people through, they don't, they don't care about that. But if you give Tom a, a background, if you, um, if you ground him in an experience that is similar to that of the learners, then Tom is taking the learner with them on this journey. And so people think if Tom can do it, maybe I can do that too. We have that background and they don't have to be the exact same background. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more, um, you don't want a story match. It, it's more of emotion match. It's conflict match. It's all of those things. Um, even though we all like to think our problems are super unique, they really aren't. Um, you know, even the problems themselves aren't really unique. A lot of times it comes down to what we say fear, mm-hmm. you know, fear of losing something. So right. Tom could be a fear of losing something else, but you, as long as you write it in a way that brings it to the fore, you can still relate with that same fear of loss even though it's not exactly what Tom is going through. So it's about writing that and bringing that out where you can still make that connection um, between um, the person who is learning from this and the character that they are um, manipulating, I guess, in the story. Right, right. And you obviously have years of experience in developing these personas that are very closely knit with the audience who's gonna be taking the training or listening Mm -hmm. to the story. For someone who's really new to the concept of storytelling, what kind of research goes into the background of developing this character? How do you study the audience to make the characteristics match with the main character of the story? Well, um, first, I always tell people to change from the perspective of thinking that you have to create a story and realizing you have to find the story. The story already exists. Yes, you need some creativity to nuance it and sort of fit it into this framework, but always be thinking, I need to go, if there's a gap, don't think you have to make it up, think you have to go find it or talk to more people. Mm-hmm. Also, again, back to that idea of experience, it, again, it's, there's not so much uniqueness in the world. You've had a job before, you've experienced something before. Like if I go back to the idea of fear of loss, You've experienced that before. You know people who've experienced it. So don't think, if I didn't talk to Michael, I can't. You can draw on the human experience of what it's like to be feeling abandoned and left out there and not knowing what to do. Um, if you have you know, a software, for example, uh, one example that I, I like to use all the time, I was in training during that period where we were switching everything from 
uh, DOS and other mainframe systems to um, web-based systems. And so you had a lot of people who were resistant to that change. And back then, of course, I would think of it as these people, well, they just don't like computers and they don't want to learn and they want to stay in their same rut. Right. And one thing I always say, I've said this many times in, in nearly every class I teach, is that someone told me years ago that people don't fear change, they fear loss. So if you think now, what is Mary losing to go to this new system? Well, she's using all, she's losing all of her it's part of our identity, really, that Mary knew so much about this system that people came to Mary. And that was a sense of power for her. And it was a sense of safety for her that she knew that they could not just replace her like that. And at this point, you're 20 feet away from the system and you're more in what Mary is experiencing as a person. Now, I'm not saying that in your e-learning, you have to now tell a, a full story of Mary's life. Right. And, you know, what she was going through, but just, just that piece of empathy helps you shape the story that Mary, instead of just Mary has to use a computer and she uses web-based systems. Robotic. Let's see how she, yeah, it's, you know, Mary has been using the old system for 20 years. There's certain things that she likes about the new system, but there's certain things that she hates. Let's try and help Mary see the connections between what she was using before and what she's using now. And the person's like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to see those connections too, right? right so right. it really is that empathetic piece of really sitting down and, and talking to, to her and trying to figure out what's the, what's the loss. You don't have to be a therapist, but because you're a human being who knows people, you should know that if you take, if people perceive you're taking power away from them, they do not like it. You know, they do not like it. And knowledge is power, especially when it comes to technology. So you have to really, you're just wiping away 20 years of knowledge from her. That's the way she sees it. So you have to think, how can I live, make her feel like that? It's only 10 years of knowledge, you know, that she still has that foundation, that process still um, is the same, you know? So, yeah. So just having conversations with people, drawing on your own experience about how people react in, in different situations and just being empathetic and putting yourself in their shoes and how they're experiencing this can go a long way. Okay. And, and, and do, you, do you use empathy as the first element to kind of hook the audience in? Is that, is that part of your strategy too, then when you're start, starting to design the story? Yeah, if I want them to care, I have to have them. Now, it's, it's not always practical. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say that um, and, you know, this, this idea that people react to empathy the same way or emotion the same way is, is just not true, right? They, they don't. Some people shut down. Some people are just lack the self-awareness. I mean, to be empathetic, you kind of have to be self-aware. Um, so a lot of people lack that self-awareness as well. So you don't, you don't always get that. But if, if you want the learner to care, you have to tap, in their tap into their favorite topic which is themselves. Right. <laughs> so creating that, that empathy is, is a big part of that, them recognizing themselves in that person and in recognizing their lives in the situation that person is in. Right, right. What are some of the other ways that you have hooked the audience or gained the, the audience's interest in the story? Mm -hmm. Well, there's always the element of mystery and surprise and curiosity. 
um, not revealing everything ahead of time. I know when I develop e-learning, I try this. A lot of subject matter experts or sponsors do not like it. But the idea of throwing people into a situation and then giving them the answer after as, as part of them working their way out of the situation. Um, a lot of people feel like that's a trick question, like you're testing me on something that I couldn't possibly know. But when you think about adult learning principles, you know, that's one of the big keys is that you, they want their current knowledge and experience to be valued. And by drawing on that from the beginning um, can really go, go a long way. So, you know, throwing them into that situation of what do I do? Um, and then letting the story play out um, on the back end is in a very uh, effective way of, yes, of doing yes. it. And I think that also goes to that particular scenario that you're talking about, throwing them on the deep end first, mm -hmm. um, also goes to the just-in-time learning, right? You don't right. learn until you need to learn. And so right, right. Yeah. Just when you need it. And right. um, so I, and when we talk about cinema, one thing, I love movies that do that. Some movies give you this whole backstory, like he's divorced, he's blah, blah, right, right. you know, but just show me that because right. that's how people are. You know, they don't give you their backstory. They show it in their actions. And I talk about this movie called, um, old movie called Chinatown, with Jack Nicholson. And one thing that was unique about that movie, was it wasn't like the Sherlock Holmes formula where he solves it based on information that you would never have seen, you know, that only he saw, he's just now bringing up. With a movie like that, you don't know until he knows. Like you don't discover it until he's discovered it. And he's really taking you along with this to this journey. Now, obviously he's making connections that you're not making, but you only see it when, when he sees it. And I think about that movie a lot when I try to create a narrative around stories like that, where, yeah, you only get the information when Tom needs that information. And cause that's just how it is in life. Yes. Um, and I say the word try because um, one of the challenges around doing that is you know, you have this whole movie in your head of how this is going to play out, but they don't. And they being your subject matter experts and your approvers. So being able to communicate that is always going to be a challenge. And especially if you're a creative imaginative type, you think, why can't you see what I'm seeing? Right. But they, they won't, you know, um, you know, no matter how creative they are, because it's your vision. So trying to communicate that and sell them on it. Um, sometimes it's a compromising, it's a compromise you need to make, but it's always nice to try. Yes. You opened the door to that question. So I'm going to ask, what are the mm -hmm. different ways you have convinced your subject matter expert to present a story from the perspective that you are trying to present? Um, well, usually what happens is I just go ahead. <laughs> I, well, I, I tell them about it because every time I tell them about it, they're super excited. So in that initial meeting, they're super excited. Um, and then when I show it to them, Nine times out of 10, they're happy. Maybe, maybe eight times out of 10, they're really happy with it. Um, and then there's there, those two times where they have problems with it. But what I don't do, and I think sometimes we do this a lot, probably in every field, but especially in learning development, there's this baby with the bathwater mentality that if they don't like it, then I must abandon the whole thing. And start, and, and start you know, uh, or even abandon the whole concept and just go back to the straight e-learning. But I'm I'm open enough to say, I didn't do this right. Like I didn't do it in a way that is convincing for them. And so usually in those cases, it's, I've never had a situation where we've abandoned the whole thing. It's just me trying to find out what's not working for you and what's not. And usually what it is, is that they're very literal people 
And, um, you know, my, especially when they're looking at a storyboard and I'm like this, you know, trying to explain what's happening and uh, they don't see it, you know, in, in their heads. So usually it's about at that point, if I, if I'm still want to stick to my guns and have it and believe this will work and they seem open to it at this point, it's just time to go to the development, at least to the alpha stage. And then when they see it in alpha, Usually, because they can visualize it at this point, because it's right there on the screen, it goes a lot. It goes a lot better. But um, I think a key to that, as I sort of glossed over, is that trust and relationship building. I'm a consultant. I appear out of nowhere in many cases, so I've gotten pretty adept at being able to build trust and to make people feel comfortable that I'm not trying to give them a, a bad class. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, and you know, I think it. I think it works. So having them feel comfortable and um, going through it and then they get to see it. But again, usually if they um, push back, it's because they just can't visualize it or I'm, I'm just not portraying their audience in a way that works. And I have to be open to changing that rather than saying, oh, they just don't like storytelling and they don't like, you know, I have to be open to it. Right, right. And I think that that relationship building and repo, it's not just with consultants, it's with internal instructional designers. Yeah, I mean, I was internal first for, yeah. for many years. Um, and that's, you know, where I learned it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. In fact, sometimes I, I do think it's a little easier out as an external um, because when I was internal, I was carrying the weight of the training department and what people felt about the training department, which in most cases wasn't pleasant. We take too long or they don't like my manager or they had a bad experience with maybe me <laughs> or with other people, you know, so carrying that was always a problem. Um, but internal, here's this fresh face who's just, who's just, who's just there to help. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, it becomes a little easier. Yes. Yes. Um, so two questions that come to mind in terms of putting the story together, what are the different elements of the story? And by that, I mean, you obviously has have the hook, you have the beginning, middle, end. If and I'm talking from an elementary school perspective, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then there are the transitions in the comprehension check. What are the different parts of a story from your perspective? Mm -hmm. Well, um, because I try to take it from the perspective of the um, sort of this key character. One thing I always think about when people say, "I'll take compliance training," for example, people say. Oh, how can you build stories around compliance? It's so boring. I'm like, yeah, compliance is boring. But what's not boring is a person complying, right? Don't think of it as compliance. Think about a person complying. Okay, so we, we're, now have, we're all now focused on this person. What is the transition this person has to make? So I always talk about stories of transformation. So how does this person have to transform either through a learning um, a set of knowledge or adopting a set of behaviors? What does this person have to absorb in order to make this transformation? And, you know, what's the, you know, they have to learn this, they have to do this behavior. Okay, so that is the perspective we want to go from. And that's the heart of the story. The heart of the story is this person making the transformation and what we can do um, in uh, obviously helping the learner also make that transformation as they walk Tom, I keep saying Tom, Tom through this transformation as well. So to me, that's the key. 
And the content sort of gets built around that of what this person needs to know, what they're gonna experience, what hiccups along the way. Um, you know, what are the barriers to transformation? When I think about something like conflict, I always think about how conflict is sometimes it's sometimes it's with another person, but usually that person is a symbol of what's going on inside of the character. I was I say the the key conflict is within yourself. Um, anytime we're talking about the idea of transformation, there's a conflict, right? Because either it's someone's forcing you to transform or you want to transform and you can't transform, there's always some sort of, of conflict there. So to me, the conflict is organic in these stories. It's just a matter of finding out what are those conflicts that people are going through internally and bringing it out in the story. So I would say at the heart of it all is the transformation and on what's on either side of that. Where are they now? Where do we need them to be? What do they need? How can I support them in making this transformation? What activities do they need to go through? What behaviors do they need to adopt? And what knowledge needs to support that, um, those behaviors and activities and all of that stuff? Um, and, you know, just sort of just keep focusing on what this person needs to go through to make that change and what things could pop up along the way to to cause problems. So right. that's usually how I, I build them right. out. And I think that goes right back to focus on the character, right? You think of the story from the Right, the right, right. And there's definitely, I mean, it follows an arc, right? There's, there's still that narrative arc that you follow. There's still um, the, you know, the hero's journey, things of that sort which is really all about transformation. Um, so one tool that I use and refer to a lot is called the story spine. And the story okay. spine is a more user-friendly uh, version of the hero's journey. And it's used a lot in the improv, which is important because that means that people can memorize it and use it right off the top of their heads. And it's what I love about it is that it focuses on transformation and that it has you start from, you know, where, how are things now? Well, you know, what's going on with this person? And then it makes you build a scene of an example of, you know, for example, he's this, this, that, and the other. And then you have that inciting incident, that change, that thing that changes everything that pushes him or her over the threshold where they will, whenever they return, it will, they will not be the same if they return. Right. Um, and that's just a new system that's being implemented. You know, that that's a new feedback model. That's a new, that thing that comes up that disrupts this ordinary world. They're right. pushed over. And then the events that happen as a result of that. Um, and then ultimately what happens at the end. And then the key part is ever since then, which means what have you learned from it? What have you learned from that experience? And so I use that template um, to actually do interviews. You know, I sit them down because it helps me keep them on the track, right? So I kind of go through it and walk them through it. And when I use, when I have these, I may have 10 at this point that I have talked to people and built, and then I can use that as ideas for building my scenarios and building my stories. I may not take Mary's specific one, but I can use what she talked about um, when she was talking about confronting a customer that she thought was stealing or something to that effect, um, with how she experienced it and maybe mix it with Alan's experience to come up with something that is um, realistic. I know. see, I see. Um, you mentioned storyboarding, right? And, and prototyping many times as a 
as an aspect of convincing the SMEs if they have, they have, they're not sold on the idea. What yeah. are some of the other things that happen along in the process? So obviously you have your research, storyboarding, where do you take it from there? How does it come to fruition from, you know, from an idea to a story? Well, it, you know, so usually the first time the story pops in my head is during the very first call, the very first discussion that we're having, I'm already trying to see, doing my best shot of whether or not this is something that can be built um, around scenarios. Now, sometimes I'll have a scenario, I have like sort of three versions of this. I'll have a scenario that will go through the entire course, right? So the entire course is one scenario. Um, that's difficult um, because, uh, first of all, you have to stay realistic about what's going to happen in each, at each leg of the journey. And it's one of those magical skills of instructional designers that we're screenwriters now all of a sudden. And, I mean, people, people have this whole jobs called continuity experts, you know, who focus on that type of thing. Um, so it's, it's difficult to sometimes follow it through if it's a longer, you know, course or something to that effect. So that's one version. Another version I have is I'll have a character who is like the overarching sort of uh, avatar or um, the person who is the star of this. And then that person will guide us through other scenarios with other people. That way I don't have to necessarily keep up with this timeline or keep up, but this person is key, is holding the continuity, you know, throughout. Um, one thing I say sometimes is this person may have case files, right? Maybe she has a core story, but if there's other stories we want to address, rather than trying to jerry-rig them and force them into a longer narrative or ignore them, you know, she may refer to her case files and say, let me tell you about blah, blah, blah. And so go ahead and read and go through these, right? So that way I can still get in what uh, Michael said and what Karen said and what Tom said and build it into the, the story without disrupting the overall storyline. The other way, third way of doing it is individual, you know, scenarios that aren't really um, tied to, are only, only tied together through topic, not through, um, you know, who they are. So I'm always thinking, what, which one of those three can I possibly use? Sometimes it's just not possible or practical, um, but I'm sort of making decisions early on um, of whether or not it, it's something I can do. So once we have that first one, that, that, that first meeting, and um, we, we go ahead and get started, I start asking them about people I can talk to. Um, I don't necessarily... I, I may throw out the idea of story ahead of time, but I don't want to overpromise, which I used to do. <laughs> it's going to be a spaceship, and then you know it's going to be zombies, and right. you know, and <laughs> couldn't deliver <laughs> on that, you know. So uh, within the allotted time or expense, so uh, I sort of play my cards a little closer to my chest nowadays, and uh, try to um, just infer that exactly what I'm telling you, that if we want people to care about this, we need to build some sort of connection between what they're seeing on screen in their, in their lives. And the way to do that is not through module one, let's talk about finances. And, but, you know, the way to do that is to inject people into it um, because people like people and they want to experience that um, for the most part. If, but it depends on the culture of the organization as well. So um, say they're like, okay, cool, great. So um, if I decide that or we decide collectively that we're going to go that route, then I start modeling, again, characters first, 
you know, the, the, the person first. And so I, I kind of go through this who, because that also leads to content, content as well. So if the person is going to be in one thing, debate, we have a lot, how much experience this person is going to have, are they coming in as a new person or experienced person? We don't want them too experienced. So given what we have decided about this person um, through a persona or through other discussions, now we need to talk about what that person would be experiencing. Now, of course, I've also written learning objectives at this point, which will help guide me and help guide me guide them through what I'm looking for, because obviously that's a whole can of worms what this person is experiencing and so many things. So if I can, I, I align it with the objectives. If the objective one is that this person will do this, we need to talk about when the, well, the, that the learner has to learn this. Let's talk about when this character will be doing this um, and under what circumstances will be, they be doing this. So it's almost, you know, walking, um, help having the subject matter experts help me walk the key character through the learning objectives and through the content and how they'll be experiencing this um, um, along the way. So, yeah, it's just really just um, that sculptor about you know, just you have this whole block of marble and you're just chipping away everything that doesn't look like the, the one, one this, thing at a time. Yeah, one thing at a time. It's sort of like that. You have this block of marble. You're just chipping a block of knowledge and you're mm -hmm. chipping away everything that doesn't look like the class doesn't look like the story. Right. Um, but this but that person's experience and the objectives and all that, they are your guide. Um, but it's hard because they will start subject matter experts, of course, will start throwing in content from all over the place. Mm -hmm. So either you need to find a way to accommodate it in the course, which is where you get those little case files, or um, you find ways to say, well, that's, we didn't say that this was going to be happening in the course. Does it need to be in this course? Can we have it, you know, the discussions that you have? Um, right. There's a um, Dorothy Parker, um, the author writes, um, cut your darlings. You know, so it's it's hard not to get attached to your story yes. and not to get attached to the people that you've created. I mean, sometimes I get really attached to them. I think we're all attached even him? to the design, right? Yeah, right, baby. right. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So when um, people want to, uh, you know, change that and take you off the course, you have to remember it's their course. Right. They're the ones who have to live with this. They're the ones who have to champion it. Um, but, you know, I'm all about consequence management. The more content we add, the more we water down this story and we forget why we started the story in the first place. And that was to connect the learner to what they're experiencing so that they can feel like they're going through this as well. And you may be diluting it by adding all these other caveats and other information. So, um, you know, it's a discussion that needs to be had, but, right. um, you know, right. stick, your, stick, stick to your ground as much as you can. Yes, yes. And that comes with experience. Um, mm -hmm. So question for you, what percentage of stories or storytelling in L&D gets um, in the comes in the e-learning modality and what percentage falls in the IELTS? Like what, where is the demand currently in the market? How, how does it break out between ILT and web-based training or e-learning? I couldn't possibly know. I could just say from my experience, I mean, for the most part, I concentrate a lot on e-learning. I feel like that's what people hire out for more than instructor-led, um, even though e ILT is still king of the roost. I don't know about <laughs> anymore, but it has been for a while. 
Um, so I don't know for sure, but I can say this. Um, a storytelling is a big demand in e-learning because there is no instructor. Like I can build out a course um, that has an ILT course that has no storytelling, but the instructor will add stories. The instructor right. will trigger empathy. The instructor can add things like, okay, well, this is um, the, the content. How many of you have experienced that content? You tell me a story about that content, right? So the stories just can come to life, not just from the instructor, but from the learners in the room right. um, to the point where, you know, you know, it's, it's nice to have, definitely, I still think that storytelling is important in having some sort of case study, but if you didn't have it, stories still could be um, a big part of it. E-learning, none of that is there, right? Well, at least for asynchronous e-learning, none of it is there. So um, I think that is why there's a, there's a big push to not have this page turner, but to have something that people feel connected to. Right, right. Um, and, and the flip side of that, that absence of the instructor is feedback, right? In an instructor-led yeah. scenario, the instructor can give you feedback right there and then, which is right, gratifying right. for the learner. Mm -hmm. So how do you sneak in that feedback? How do you mm -hmm. give that corrective redirection to your audience when they're taking that e-learning? You know, that's one thing that's really funny about this idea of like, the first thing that comes to mind is people say, you can choose your own adventure and all of that. That stuff is really heavily structured. I mean, it's probably the most structured <laughs> thing more than anything else, um, you know, in the, in the course. Um, so it's, it's a diff, it's a challenging thing to do. Um, obviously there's branch scenarios, which is one thing you can do. Um, I guess it depends on whether or not there's a definitive right or wrong answer. Um, if it's a definitive, then you can choose whether or not you want to, you know, give the feedback in the, in the feedback screens, or do you want them to keep going or, or how you want to present that in some sort of text or narrative format. Um, and that's a little easier than the one, I don't know, maybe it's not, um, because there's also the one where there is no definitive answer and you can't give A, B, or C, or more than anything else, what they are learning is not the destination, but the journey. Right. Um, and so how do you, is there a way to even correct them on this? Um, I teach for ATD, and one class that um, I used to teach was um, scenario-based e-learning, and it was designed by Ruth Clark. And um, she had, uh, she didn't design this, but she had the sample in there, which to me is still amazing, um, because it was just all HTML. There was nothing, no, it's just imagery and hyperlinks, and that was it. And what it was, was it was a teaching the, a doctor was in a situation where they had to decide whether or not to honor the living will of a patient, which was to take him off of um, life support if needed, mm -hmm. or um, honor the desire of his family, which is that that's murder, do not take him off life support. And so obviously the answer isn't take him off life support or don't take him off. I mean, that's not right. the answer not at all. Mm -hmm. The answer is the journey. They're learning the journey of trying to figure this out. So, you know, the first screen was, you know, who, what state are you in? You know, teaching them now, it depends on the state. Uh, like you have to look up state law to figure right. this out. So they select the state. And so it gives them some um, 
insight there. Then they got, I think it was like maybe five different people they could pick, a lawyer, clergy, whoever, and they could talk to any one of these people to figure out what they wanted to do. And again, it's teaching that, right? So at the end, um, you know, as going through all this, they ask, do you want to take this person off life support or not? Mm -hmm. So if you say, no matter what you say, um, they ask you, wait, are you sure? Right. So that's teaching you now to second guess yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, of, you know, what should I be doing here? Um, And then it went on to say, you did just look at this. Did you look at that? Do you feel comfortable with this? Do you look at that? And then when you say, in this example, it was like, yes, I still want to take him off life support. And then it gave you a possible um, scenario of what could have happened. I think it was that um, nobody in the family talked to you for a while. The mother, just uh, his wife, just badmouthed you whenever she could. And the daughter um, continued to go to you as her doctor, right? So it gave you that sort of feedback about you. But I love that idea that um, that it was dependent on feedback in some ways, but the feedback was more, you know, you need to make sure you're looking in all the right places. This is the journey. Um, this is what's more important of what we want you to learn. Sometimes some feedback is um, you don't have all the time to build something that out. And so what I'll do sometimes is give them an input box or tell them to write it on a sheet of paper and then hope that they do it and then um, get the chance to click next to compare your answer to ours or click our answer. That way they can sort of, this is what you said and this is what we said. Now, as they, they may do that twice before they just start clicking our answer, right? Unless you program it in a way where they can't do it, which I'm not sure how you're gonna do. Uh, you can maybe do a character limit, but they don't have to type anything feasible in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the idea of even if they just click our answer, um, they are going to be reading that and still intellectually comparing it to what they would say, whether or not they wrote it down or not. Right. So, um, yeah, it's just there's so many ways uh, around it. That's it's not feedback in that I can say you're right or wrong, mm-hmm. but it does put it in your hands to think, wow, I was way off that my answer wasn't anything like that. So right. even though we don't know what your answer was, you know how, how you feel about that. Right. So there's a variety of, of ways, but um, it can be a challenge. It's definitely not in the classroom. One thing I love about the classroom is when someone gives you an answer, you can sometimes flip it on them. Okay, well, right. what if, you know, they were, you know, they, the mother, the wife lived in one state and the husband lived in another state, or what if, you know, he shows vital signs at the end, like those types of things you can throw in there um, to really get people thinking and talking. You can't really do that um, as straightforwardly in e-learning. In e-learning, yes, correct. So let's get to the topic of tools. What are some mm-hmm. of the tools that you recommend um, using or go-to tools for storytelling? Well, it's going to sound corny, but the first tool is your imagination, so <laughs> your brain. You know, you need to you need to watch movies, you know, and I thought that was an easy sell, but a lot of people are like, no, I don't watch movies. Like you really do. If you're not watching movies and I don't mean like watching them for fun. I mean, watching them in an obnoxious, no one wants to watch them with you way. I mean, really seeing how characters are coming to life. Why do you feel a certain way for this 
like, why are you sort of rooting for Michael Myers in Friday the 13th? Like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's an he's a murderer. Like, why are you rooting for that person? Why do you root for the bad guy? Why do you feel a connection to this character and that character, the underdog? I mean, every every problem that we face in learning and development has been solved by other industries. There is no, there are no mysteries of how you manipulate people's emotions or how to get them to feel one way or the other. Other industries have already answered those questions. So it's up to us to find it. So I would say, you know, um, creativity um, and also looking at other industries that have successfully done it. Um, Now for tools themselves, I'm very simple. Um, I use Storyline and I have to confess, I don't use Adobe Suite. I use PowerPoint. I use PowerPoint and other people, you know, to build those together. I feel like um, it's probably controversial, but I feel like my skills are better used in those first two pieces than the, you know, the other two. Um, because you can always, there's always people who can do it unless you are that naturally or you just love to do it. Um, which I did early in my career. I wanted to be a jack of all trades. Um, what we always forget at that second part of it is master of none. You know, so I'm at the point in my career where I'm about the I'm about the deep dive. I'm about the deep knowledge, knowing after years of building plants and all these little intricacies um, <laughs> that no one noticed that I cared yes. about. After they won't even of, remember the training I as know. soon as they walk out of it. Exactly. And <laughs> Unless the story was very powerful. Right, right. <laughs> but I mean, like the, the graphic elements that you right. put in. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not bad at it, but I know that I know that there are people who can do it faster, better and prettier than I ever could. So I say pay people to do what they do. Right. Um, and, you know, just as an industry, I think we're taken advantage of in many ways, mostly because we are so curious and we think, oh, we could do that, whatever. Of course you can, but we need good instructional designers. We need good writers. We need good storytellers. And there's a trade-off. The time you spend nudging things back and forth is time where you could be spending, you know, adding more um, interesting dialogue, which is a whole nother topic right. um, to your characters and bringing them to life and thinking about their backstory. And I mean, those are the, that's what we need more than anything else. But sorry, that was the soapbox rant, but yeah, anyway. No, no. So PowerPoint storyline. It, it, <laughs> it, it can be exhausting, right? Trying to get mm-hmm. every single object in the right direction and, you know, mm-hmm. the right aspect ratio and all of that fun stuff. Um, yeah. So one last perspective, um, you know, you always hear storytelling in different in different ways, right? There's the sales perspective, there's the compliance perspective, but there's also um, the learner perspective, which is what we are talking about. But there's also leadership storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, how does a leader's story, when he's talking to his team, differ from um, a le- a story that you're presenting to a learner? Well, let me just say this about leadership and storytelling. So I, uh, I came up with this phrase, I call it my Hedea-isms, where if you are a leader, think of storytelling as not spotlight, but headlight. Okay. So spotlight, uh, you know, it's just me, me, me. I've done all these things and right. aren't you great and can't you do them too? 
But if you change that and think, actually, my story should be shining a light forward for people. Yeah, it's, if the only thing they're getting from this story is how great I am, then this is not working. So how can I tell this story in a way where they can see themselves, they can see their own um, challenges that they're coming against? Am I being open enough with any um, challenges or flaws that I had? If, if you're not talking about the challenges and the obstacles, then you're definitely in spotlight territory. You know, it's just, I was here and now I'm there. And that people are still stuck on the other side and they're trying to figure out how to get over there. I say that, you know, the stories aren't on the coast, they're in the ocean, right? So unless you're going to bring people in the ocean with you, then the story is just about you and how great you are. So it really is about shining that light forward. What can people learn from? Um, And, you know, it's, 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 I guess I would say it's, it's your story and you have the right to your story. Right. So it's not that you have to change it and be so focused on other people. It's just you just saying what you have learned from that experience is enough. Mm-hmm. You just p- highlighting that and saying all the times you tried and failed. Um, that's enough. So it's just the truth. That's all. It's not this magic formula that um, if I add this or add that, then people will gain something from it. Tell the truth the way you see it. And as a leader, that's what you owe people. I would say um, it also depends on your purpose, you know, obviously of what the purpose of this is. Um, You know, from a learning capacity, it it depends. So if I am just using storytelling, you know, there are different elements that I could pull from other people. I'm not saying go up there and lie, but your stories can be about other people. Your stories can be, you can sort of pull all those in together. You should also be thinking about how the learner is going to engage with this as well. But I think for leaders, if they're telling their own story, if they're trying to motivate people, if they're trying to um, get people to follow them or however they're like, to believe in themselves or however they're trying to think about it, it, it really is about you um, telling the truth as you see it and how you experienced it and always be thinking. Um, another thing I say too is storytelling is about you, but not for you, mm-hmm. right? So um, yeah, this is your story that you're telling, but you're telling it in the service of other people, right. which means that it's not just about how you did all these things great. It's about how they can do things great right. through your own experience. And I think that that goes back to the very first conversation that we were having about connecting with the audience, right? Keeping yeah. the audience in mind, keeping the audience front and center. Um, mm-hmm. Hadia, it has been great talking to you. Uh, one last final question. If somebody wants to learn from you, mm-hmm. besides ATD, I know you present widely in ATD. Mm-hmm. Is there another way that they can reach out to you, learn from you, go to your website or something like that? Well, go to my website, definitely. Um, And I'm going to say this on tape. That way I'll actually do it. I'm going to start doing some um, webinars um, monthly about personal storytelling, not about, you know, I I hope that you can take this knowledge and apply it to instructional design. I hope, um, but it's going to be more along the lines of how can I tell my own story or how can I coach people to tell their own story, which is a part of what we do as well. So I'm going to be kicking that off in Q1 of 2022. So my website is Duets Learning. There is a place you can sign up to get on the the mailing list. 
Um, so I'll, I'll be doing that. Um, I do have um, a channel out there called Lived Learned. Right now there, um, I have this 10 video series about stories about what I learned as a freelancer is my 10th year anniversary this year. So I did it in sort of, it's called the fog of freelancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on that channel, I'll be making some videos as well about specifically how to use the story spine. I talk about it a lot. So I want to walk people through actually telling them a story and then showing them how I built it with the story spine, because sometimes it's just not as um, clear as to how that's happening. So yeah, there's some, um, definitely some things coming next year, but it all starts with the, uh, with my website, duetslearning.com. Exciting stuff, exciting stuff. Hadia, it has been a pleasure speaking with you this evening. Thank you again for taking the time to speak with me and my listeners. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Redefine Instruction webcast series. We welcome feedback. Leave a comment or question on any of our social media pages. We look forward to hearing from you. Until then... Stay tuned for the next episode.